0: Ah, We are glad to be here this morning. Uh, My name is John. This is my dad, Ken. Most of you know my dad. Um, If you've lived around Bloomington or Ellisville very long, you probably know him. Um, We are really excited to be here this morning. Um, We come from a long line of preachers and we both prot all over uh, the area. Um, But this is the first weekend we've ever done it together. Um, So we've been told we have 25 minutes. That's 25 minutes apiece, right, Jeff? Um, this morning. (laughs) We'll see how that goes. But um, we are just honored to get a chance, especially on Father's Day, just a cool opportunity for us to be able to be on stage and get a chance to bring you a word from God today. Um, But before we do that, I want to give you a chance to do something maybe you haven't done this week. Um, And uh, the the truth is, most of us don't do this often enough. And that's just take take a deep breath um, just to get a moment of perspective today. The Bible talks about God speaking in a still small voice. Um, And it's not because he doesn't have a loud, angry voice if he needed to. Um, If he wanted to right now, he could scare all of us to death with his loud voice. But he chooses to speak in a still, small voice. Um, And throughout Scripture, we see the reason for that is because he wants you and me this morning to quiet the noise in our life that often gets louder than God, to quiet the things in our life that um, have caused us stress, have caused us anxiety this week. And to give a moment for God to speak into your life means that you quiet everything else. So would you choose, and this is the way God is, and we're going to talk about this this morning, this is the way the Heavenly Father is. He doesn't do anything imposed on you. Because love is a choice, and He wants you to choose it back. He wants you to right here, right now, as you sit here this morning, to choose Him by quieting the things in your life. So would you do that? We're going to take about 30 seconds, 45 seconds for you just to to be quiet. Whatever you brought in here this morning, would you just lay it down right here right now for a moment of perspective from the Father, and then I'll close us out before we get started. Got in the quiet of this room. I hear the kids. It reminds me that there are more important things than my bills. Got in the quiet of this room right now, in the midst of all of our life, of the anxiety that comes of our 401ks, of our jobs that we go back to tomorrow, of the things that seem to be louder than you in our life. We choose to quiet all of them so we can hear from the Creator, the Father with a capital F. God, as we choose you today, would you, would you move us in a new way? If we just wanted something, a new idea, we could go to Barnes & Noble. Would you say something to us today that the talk show hosts don't know? <laughs> Would you move us in a way today that can only be from the Creator? And we'll walk out of here not just with a cold tissue, not just feeling better, but with action on our, on our hearts and on our minds. Would you give us something to do today because of what we hear? We choose you. Would you be honored by that? It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Well, we get the opportunity to um, to tell a story today that has sort of stood the test of time. Um, this is a story that Jesus told many, many years ago, and if you've been a, around church at all, you have heard this story today. So it's kind of intimidating um, to try to retell a story that Jesus has told. We want to kind of give you a little bit different light of it today, and I'm going to see how this works with Dad and I. I might have to actually get a, one of those old hooks and pull him off stage at some <laughs> point. We'll see how that goes. Um, but uh, but as we move forward today, I, I want to talk about story. And the, the truth about story is Jesus used it so well. Um, I'm a video producer and um, grew up that way, and so I I have learned to, that story is one of the most important things that we can have that moves us as people. And Obviously, Jesus knew that. But everybody tells stories. You're all probably telling stories around Father's Day. Um, and we all tell stories, but some people can tell them in a way that just changes you. It, it moves you and it pauses your life for a minute. My dad's that way. Um, he has still to this day, the jokes that I've been hearing for 30 years can still make me laugh. Um, the stories that I've heard over and over again, even though there's inconsistencies between the stories, um, they, can, they, they can still move me um, in good ways. So I'm excited to get a chance to have dad here um, to kind of help me tell these stories today.
1: I always tell them right the same way every time. <laughs> I don't know if you heard uh, about the guy who had just uh, gone to prison. And uh, it was kind of a, a minimum security place where all the, the prisoners slept kind of in a barracks with uh, bunks. And so it was time. So he found his bunk. And, and at 9 o'clock, they turned the lights off. And all these guys are, are laying around. And, and uh, pretty soon, somebody says, 47. 47. Oh, and everybody just laughs and laughs and laughs. And the new guy thinks, man, that's strange. And uh, so pretty soon somebody says, 16. Oh, everybody's just just roaring, laughing. And the guy thinks, man, this is really strange. And uh, sure enough, another time somebody says, two. Oh, everybody's just laughing their heads off. And finally the guy leans over to the bunk next to him and said, what is going on? And he said, well, we've been here a long time. And everybody knows everybody's joke. So instead of telling it, we just assigned a number to each one. And so, so somebody will mention that, and everybody remembers it, and they all laugh. And, and so he thought, well, I kind of want to fit in, so I'm going to try this. So he says, three, not a sound. And he thought, well, maybe that wasn't a very funny one. So he says, 14, not a sound. And he thought, man. Let try one more time. Ten. Nothing. Finally, he leans over to the guy next to him. And he says, what's the deal? And he said, listen, buddy, some people can tell a story and some can't. <laughs> oh,
0: man, that one gets me every time. I've heard it 13 times in the last 10 years. But, um, you know, the truth is, story is, is a big part of my life. Um, and, Andy, you've been to our house, sat around our table. You know that's the way we start and end most of our meals, um, and it's a big part of who we are. And, and part of the reason Jesus told stories is because it's a big part of who you are. And he, the thing that made Jesus so good about this is that he never told a story without thinking first about who he was talking to. So I've been praying for you all week. Because I, the last thing I want to do is mess up what Jesus did by telling this story. Um, but I, I want to give you a little bit of insight before I tell you the story that Jesus told. I want to tell you about the people that Jesus talked to. And give you just a little bit of insight on on what they were feeling at the time. See, at at the point that Jesus was was telling stories, um, he was talking to a community of people um, that had a pretty messed up picture of who God was. They had created a picture of God based on their ancestors. And and in the beginning, the very beginning of religion, um, the way religion started was that man decided he needed to grow crops. And when he grew crops, he would put his crops in the ground, and it might rain and it might not. And he realized, I'm not in charge of all of, all the things around me. And since I'm not in charge of the rain, somebody must be in charge of the rain. And so I'm going to refer to this person as a god. I'm going to think of this person as someone who's bigger than me. And he begins to do things. He begins to get desperate. Because every, every time he plants crops, it may rain, it may not. If it doesn't rain, he believes that he has lost the favor of the gods that are in charge of the rain. And so man begins to sacrifice things. Man begins to do things in ways that aren't um, healthy, begins to do things that that are more and more desperate. And part of the beginning of of, of religion um, was that man gets so desperate to win the favor of God that he even begins to do things like sacrifice children. Because the truth is, if you believe that your main role in life is to gain the favor of the gods somehow, Every time it doesn't rain and grow your crops, you believe you've done something to offend the gods, and you get more and more desperate to do something to sacrifice, to please them. And throughout history, over and over and over throughout history, man reverts back to this concept that God must be angry. And even those who were rescued out of Egypt... Even those that God parted the Red Sea for, they sat at the base of the hill, and when Moses went up to the mountain, they were there for a little bit going, yay, Yahweh, yea, God, he's in our favor. But after Moses was gone for a little bit, they started, realizing, they started feeling like they had lost the favor of God again, and it led them into desperation. It led them into idol worship, just like every time human beings, present day included, every time human beings believe that their role as it comes to God is to gain his favor. They spend their physical energy, their spiritual energy, all of their time trying to gain God's favor, and it leads them to things and pictures of God that aren't accurate. It kind of drove God to a point where he sent over and over um, prophets, minor prophets, major prophets, guys who spoke a lot, guys who spoke a little, to begin to talk to the Israelites to say, we need to get the picture right. About God. In fact, in Jeremiah, guys, that next slide there, Jeremiah 23, um, one of the prophets of God speaks directly on behalf of God, which is a really, really intimidating thing to do. I prayed for you this morning and said, God, would you speak through me? And then it just hit me this morning the weight of that, the thought that God would be speaking. (laughs) Um, This morning through us is, is an incredible thing, and Jeremiah had to feel that. And those quotes are because Jeremiah believes these words are directly from Yahweh, the one true God, creating a picture of who he really is to a group of people who have a messed up picture of God. God says this to his people through Jeremiah. He says, over in Samaria, this is from a version of the Bible called The Message. I like the way uh, that Peterson sort of translates this. He says, over in Samaria, I saw a prophet acting like silly fools. Shocking. They preached using that no-God Baal. Baal was a God they made up, who they believed they had to keep happy at all costs. They used that preaching from no-God Baal for a text. And then God says this. He says, that kind of worship, that kind of messed up picture of God messes with the minds of my people. (laughs) See, having the wrong picture of God, or if you're a father or a mother in this room today, translating the picture that you have of God to your children in a way that isn't who God really is, isn't just about a a little meandering in a relationship with God or a picture of God. This is about messing up the minds of God's people. This was such a serious thing to God because people continue to get more and more desperate. They begin to worship things, begin to create idols. They begin to do things over and over and over. They got more and more desperate. Even today, we do this. People worship their 401ks. They worship their retirement accounts. They worship their jobs. They worship their kids. If you've been to the soccer field lately, they begin to raise them up as the things that might bring them hope and might bring them joy and might bring them peace. And God wants, to know, wants you to know there's a different picture. Even I've got friends north of here that believe in ghosts to a point where they have believed that if they keep the ghosts happy in their house,
1: their life will be better. You know, my dad, uh, came; his parents came from Lithuania. And uh, so he grew up in a Lithuanian neighborhood in East Chicago, and everybody worked in the steel mills and um, uh, But my dad uh, because of their, his church background and because of his cultural background, uh, church was scary to him. Uh, they, uh, they went It was a, a Catholic church and he saw all these images, scary images of, of different people and and his family was uh, was really. Uh, steeped in tradition of, of scary stuff, of ghosts and goblins, and uh, going to church to scared him to death, if you can imagine that, being scared to go to church. And he finally, at one point after he graduated from high school, he said, I can't do this anymore. And, uh, so, and his parents were mad at him. He left his job at the foundry, and, and he said, I can't do this, and he ran away, uh, went to Terre Haute, and uh, had a dollar in his pocket, And went to Indiana State and uh, the uh, uh, long story there which I won't tell but he ended up with a teaching degree and uh, ended up uh, at one point deciding he needed a different relationship with God than what he'd had and he uh, he didn't understand that God and he he uh, went to the second Christian church in Terre Haute and uh, and got a different image of what God was and was and, and was baptized but the, but the haunting stuff, the ghosts and and all that, still bothered him. He thought, "Man, I cannot live my life being afraid to be outside at midnight when there's a full moon or there's a storm coming up," and and so I, I've just got to get over this. So he decided to go to a graveyard at midnight, and it just the classic situation. There was a storm rolling in, and he thought, "If this is the way I'm going to go, I just I want to get it over. It. I can't live in fear anymore." And and so he laid his head down on a tombstone and laid there for a half hour. And you know what happened? He got wet. <laughs> and that was all. And all those fears were gone. And, and thankfully, uh, Dad became a minister. He was a chaplain during World War II. He was in the Philippines. Uh, he was a Bible college teacher. And he his whole life, dug into this God of love that he found out about. And he studied archaeology, and, and he argued with people uh, over different concepts. And, uh, but thankfully, he made those decisions. Well, I don't know where I would be or where John would be or where my grandkids would be. I thank God that my dad found the God of love.
0: See, getting the right picture of God is not just about Today, getting the right picture of God in your home, and your house, has implications for generations, for Father's Days to come in this world. I'm so thankful for Grandpa Mitchell. He passed away years ago now. But the legacy he left of a good picture of who God is, my grand, my kids, are now understanding. You know, one of the, my favorite pieces of scripture comes from another prophet. It's from Hosea chapter 6. Verse six, and it gives us this hint of God, um, God's incredible grace, so early in the story of Jesus. Um, God says this through the prophet Hosea. He says, "In in the midst of a, of an era where." Religious people especially, and even the Israelites, those who were supposed to be close to God, were sacrificing things to idols all the time. We're giving up more and more, and we're trying to gain the favor of things that weren't Yahweh over and over and over. And God says this in an incredible point in history. You see God's grace. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He says, I desire an acknowledgement of God. I like to think that as the right picture of who God is. That's what God wants. I desire that more than burnt offerings. And here's the implications for you right now on that. When it comes to coming to church on Sunday, God wants more. He doesn't just want your time. He doesn't just want you to pull your car in the parking lot here on Sunday mornings. He wants an acknowledgement of him on a daily basis. He wants you to realize something really important that Jesus begins to tell a whole community of people. In fact, Jesus is sitting with his disciples at one point, the people who are supposed to understand God really well and are supposed to be disseminating this, and he realizes they still have this problem with wanting to gain the favor of God, wanting to make sure that God, the gods are happy with them. And so Jesus says this. Again, this is from the version of the Bible called The Message. I like the way this is worded here. It's from Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Jesus says, guys, this is your father we're talking about. Now, the incredible thing, we think of God as the Father. We sing songs about God being our Father. But right now, this is not something these guys would have taken for granted. This is not them going, oh, yeah, Father, we sing, you know, good, good Father. They don't do that at that point in history. The thought of God as a dad was unthinkable to them. And Jesus says, God, this is your, guys, this is your Father you're dealing with. And these things that you desperately need, that you're sacrificing for, these things that you're trying to get the gods on your side about, God knows better than you do what you really need. And he says, with a God like this, loving you, not expecting things from you, but giving things to you, he says, with a God like this, you can pray very simply, like this. And then Jesus starts a prayer that you've probably prayed over and over again, or have heard pray, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus begins to change the picture, but people didn't get it. And so he begins to tell the story that I'd like to leave you with on Father's Day today. In Luke chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus is yet surrounded by another group of people who are following him. And if you're here today and you're kind of kicking the tires on the Jesus thing, um, and you maybe aren't sure what you really believe about it, you need to know that most of the people who followed Jesus felt the way you feel. They were intrigued, they wondered, but they weren't sure. They didn't know who he was. And you're welcome in this place, if that's the way you feel today. We believe that if you keep building, you keep digging, you will find bedrock. And that's what Jesus believed. So he welcomed people who weren't sure who God was, who weren't sure who he was completely. And he's standing around with these people who he knows has this understanding that they need to gain the favor of the gods or of even Yahweh. And he begins to tell this story. Guys, you might go back a slide. I think that's one slide too early there. Uh, there we go. Um, He begins to tell this story. Um, And you've heard this story before, but I I hope you have this context that these people believe that this is not who God was, that God wanted something from them and they needed to gain his favor. And Jesus says this, hey, a guy has two sons. This always gathered people because Jesus is beginning to tell a story and he was a master at this. A man has two sons. The younger one said to the father, father, give me my share of my estate. Now, in this room, we go, okay, we've heard this story before. They would have gone, <gasps> because basically what the son would have said to his father in this culture is, Dad, I wish you were dead. You're as, you're as good as dead to me. I want what's coming to me now. And then the father, who represents God in this story, actually gives the money to the son. And, and I believe it's Jesus saying, God loves you this much, that it's your choice what you do with the love that he's given you. Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. And we don't have time to go into this part of the story, but Jesus then describes what happened to the son, and it very much would happen in this day and age too. The money goes quickly. He ends up spending it. He ends up in a pig trough with pigs, stealing food from pigs. Some of you have almost been there. So far from God, so far from the money that he thought was going to save him and bring him the joy that he expected. And while he's sitting in this pig trough, he realizes that my dad's servants have it better than I do. And he begins to write a speech. And I remember writing speeches like this when I was in high school and i get in trouble. I remember thinking, you know, I, uh, my curfew is 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock and it's 1.30. And this is before cell phones, so dad couldn't send me a text, you know. And I remember all the way, driving all the way home, going, what am I going to say to my dad? Dad, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against mom. I've sinned, you know, <laughs> you know, I started preparing the speech, you know, and that's what the son does. He's sitting in this pig trough and he begins to say, all right, what am I going to say? Dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against my family. I've sinned against God. I've messed this thing up. What can I do? Can I go work for you like your servants? I just want to be a servant now. And he begins to repeat this speech and the people are hanging with Jesus all the way through. He finally, you know the end of this story. The next slide, guys. So he got up and he went to his father. By the way, God, the God that we sang about this morning who loves you, he's waiting for you to get up and come to the father, no matter how far you are down today. He got up and he went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, Which is another piece of good news from Jesus' story. You can't be too far off for the father to be waiting patiently for you. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And in that moment, when Jesus uttered those words, he created a new picture of God as a father. And not as a demanding father, but as a father who has already given his favor to those who don't deserve it. Throughout the course of history, Jesus and Paul and other incredible speakers and other incredible men of God afterwards have said that your job as a believer in Jesus, your job as a follower of the Father, is not to try to gain his favor, What a waste of time. What a waste of energy to spend your days trying to gain the favor of someone who is already in favor of you. Your job is to respond to the ridiculous, undeserved favor of the Father by giving favor to those around you who don't deserve it, by being obedient to the things he's asked you to do. Jesus doesn't end the story there. He he begins to talk about the celebration that the Father will have for this one who doesn't deserve it. And he, it involves
1: another brother and even some livestock, right, Dan? That's, that's right, yeah. And, and when you look at this story, uh, most of the stories Jesus told had, had several inner stories. And if you look at this, we've already looked at, at the, the father. We've looked at the prodigal son that we've learned to call him. But there's a story with the other brother, and there's another entity he's not very happy. The fatted calf is, is not very happy. You know, I'm sure they had him him on a little rope, and he's going down this trail. He said, man, why did I eat everything in sight for the last three months? If I'd been shown a little more restraint, Larry, my, my friend, would have been the one walking on this. So he wasn't happy. But the other brother was just ticked. It's not fair. You can just almost hear him. Dad, what? Look what, you, look what my brother did, and you're taking him back as a brother? I don't get nothing around here. I don't even get a ring on my finger. I don't get to have a party for my friends. It's not fair. And aren't you and I glad that God is not fair with us? We don't deserve anything, and thank God. We have eternal life. We have his blessing. You know, I, I, some of you folks I've known a long time, you've heard me say this, but, but the blessing is that it's, God's not fair with us. He forgives us. And we can go to bed at night, and you think back about the day and you think, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Or I should have said that. I should have done that. God, forgive me. And he does. And you and I, go to bed, perfect. And we get up, perfect. Our sins are gone. Now, that may not last very long. And and for most of us, it doesn't because we're human. But what a blessing that God is not fair with us. He is beyond fair. It's the picture of God we want to leave you with on
0: Father's Day. I don't know what kind of Father's Day you're going to have today. For some of you, um, the word father doesn't conjure up very good memories. For some of you, it, it, there's um, guilt for maybe the father you've been. The truth is this, this picture of, that Jesus changes the world with, as he paints a picture of a loving, compassionate father, it's the best Father's Day opportunity for you today. Father or not, good dad or not, had a good dad or not, today is your chance what would you do? What would you do differently in your life right now if you really believed that you didn't have to earn the favor of the creator? That he's already in favor. You would live you would live differently the way Jesus intended, is not that we would earn the favor of God, that we would try to earn the favor of God, but that we would realize we have already earned it. We couldn't earn it. We've already been given the favor of God, and it would change the way we live, would change the way we treat people. As you walk away from this place today, you heard me pray it this morning. I'm hoping that this picture of God doesn't just make you feel better, but it makes you act differently. It makes you treat the people around you who don't deserve your favor the way God treated you. This morning, I just want to ask you as we leave, what picture of God are you living with? And just like my grandfather, who is impacted with the picture that he began to change in our family, has impacted his great grandkids and their great grandkids. What legacy will you leave with the picture of God in your family?